For anyone uh, new or online that hasn't been with us before, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Zion, and it is good to see all of you today. It's always great to be with the church. You know, our church has three core values that we try to live by and do in everything that is community, discipleship, and prayer. Uh, and our Sunday gathering uh, is not the church. It is a part of what we do as a church. And it is to anchor us in these values so that we can grow with each other as a community, as a people, an understanding of God, obedience of God, and anchor ourselves in the things that God has called us to do. And so uh, whether you've been here for a long time or it's your first time here, I encourage you, uh, don't uh, leave without meeting somebody. Don't leave without getting to know someone and allowing just God to do work uh, in your heart through his word and through the songs that we sing. Uh, to, we are in a series called Real Love, and we are looking through the book of 1 John, which is one of the letters that the apostle writes in the New Testament and we are midway through. We're going to be reading in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18 today. And as I read the scripture in a little while, you can read with your uh, Sunday sheet that we gave out or should have been on the chair when you came in. Today's uh, topic is love in action. Love in action. It's a great, uh, great, great topic. One of the most important topics to preach on in scripture or to read about in scripture. So I think the, the opening question or thought today is, and this is rhetorical before somebody starts to raise their hand. I always got a <laughs> few of these. <laughs> Have you ever thought you were a loving person? And then the next question is, have you ever asked how Scripture defines what love is? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to discover how essential love is in our walk with God and what this essential aspect of our faith means to actually walk out in our life. We're going to start off, like I said, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11, and we're going to read to verse 15. And you can read along with the sheet, or you can listen to my beautiful radio voice. No, it's a terrible, it's a terrible radio voice, but you can listen along. Uh, starting in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John starts off this in verse 11 saying, this is the same thing that has been preached. What is this that has been preached? Well, you know, as we've been going through this verse by verse uh, the last couple of months, and so we have to look back to last week to see what is this that John is talking about. Verse 10, last week ended with this, where John is uh, transitioning one thought to another. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness, that's what we covered last week, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's what we're covering this week. So John has been giving a test. He gives what we covered last week a moral test. He says, if you are not practicing righteousness, then you are not of God. God's seed does not abide in you. You abide in the devil. You are a son of the devil. But uh, this week, then he moves on a different test. It's not just a moral test that he gives. It is a social test. He says, uh, now the question is, how do you act towards other people? This tells you what you abide in. What have you been living in? What do you treasure in your heart? And John says here, remember that there is a schism happening in the church that John is writing to. There have been false teachers that have come in and they are leading some of the sheep astray. And so John says, whenever someone says it's not important to love someone, don't believe it. Because these false teachers have come in and they've been teaching a false gospel. And a part of their false gospel, this Gnosticism that they were teaching, the importance of love was not being teached. It was not being proclaimed. In fact, loving another person was not the primary. The primary was knowledge. This secretive, mystical knowledge that you can have that will open you up to the eternal world. There's a lot of that that is going on around today, but we don't have time to cover that. That was a different sermon for a different day. But today's hint, if you think, how is that practical today? Because we don't hear a lot of preachers or teachers saying it's not important to love somebody. I think a lot of people would agree that's important. But I think what we need to understand is where is love on the priority scale? This actually blew my mind. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I, I grew up in church. I grew up, you know, as, as churchy as church could get. As much as, as much as it is, you know, we had family devotions every morning. We had, uh, we had service after service as a family every Sunday. Um, you know, the, the most hated times of the week for me as a kid. And, uh, you know, but I, I remember as a young adult kind of figuring this out that what, what's interesting is that people may talk about love, but today... A lot of people don't outright talk about love enough or as the primary. Today, what we do, I think a lot of times, is a lot of teachers put love on the bottom of the priority list. How we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ does not get enough airtime. And what gets a lot of airtime are things like the gifts of the Spirit or the, the gifts in, in the church and all these other things. A lot of airtime, you know, when I was growing up, every single week we had a pre-sermon. It was like pre-gaming for the sermon. And the pre-sermon was always about giving to the church. And so there's, they, we get a lot of airtime for different things, like for giving, like for gifts of the Spirit, like for, you know, serving in the church. There's a lot of things that we've heard over and over and over again and this is how a lot of times things have fallen through the cracks. The most primary and most essential thing that John is saying here, it is love. Love is the highest of all Christian virtues and fruit. And we can never forget this. In Galatians, when we get a list of the fruit of the Spirit, what is the first fruit that Paul the Apostle, a different uh, uh, a different writer talks about. It. He says, love 
It is the first among all the fruit that we get because from love, all the other fruit of the Spirit are derived. Paul, again, in a different letter, says in 1 Corinthians, this is, I love this passage because it's one of the most widely read passages in the United States, and it's because you will read it at almost every ceremony. Uh, and it is a scripture on love, and it has nothing to do with weddings or ceremonies. And that's why I love it, because nobody understands it in its context. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 7? Let's read it. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, a, a gift of the Spirit, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You are just noise. You, it is no point. It is pointless. I knew a lot of people growing up that can pray in tongues for hours every day, but when they got home, they would beat their spouse or scream at their kids all day. But yet we were told that this is the epitome of Christianity, how long you can pray, not how well you can love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. We go to the conferences about who is the greatest prophetic voice and who has the most faith, who has done the most in their life, who has bought the biggest buildings, built the biggest businesses and created the biggest churches. But we are not going to the places where the humble people who have loved faithfully for their whole life, we are not sitting at their feet. Why? Because we have the world's priorities. And just like it has seeped in then that John is saying, he has to constantly remind them, it seeps in today where we need to be reminded that the things that the world prioritizes, success in the view of the world, these material things, these prophetic powers, these spiritual powers are nothing, Paul says. Literally nothing. They are worthless if we do not practice love. He says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned, basically become a martyr, which was the highest Christian ideal at that time, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then this is the verse that everybody knows. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Man, in, in social media world, I'll, I'll tell you, I woke up this morning and I saw uh, uh, this, this one person that I really love, theologian, posted something. And whenever he posts something, there's always dumb comments, you know, that, that go under. It doesn't matter. It had nothing to do with scripture or anything controversial. It was a funny meme about Android versus iPhone users uh, in the U.S. And then somebody commented, and they just said something that was so dumb, so dumb. <laughs> and I went, and I, I went to reply to this person. And just to point out how ridiculous what they just said was. And I wrote up, you know, you ever write up something and it's just like, what am I doing? And just this, the Holy Spirit is telling you to delete. The Holy Spirit was telling me to delete. The, the, I'll tell you, in case you're curious, the, the stats were about iPhone and Android users in the U.S. And the guy got mad that the sample size was so low because he said there's 6 billion people in the world that use phones. And I was like, dude, this is about the U.S., the sample size is appropriate for the U.S. This is not about the world. See, this is why it has no point. Like, what am I doing fighting with somebody on social media? But I deleted it. Amen. Amen. Praise God for the Spirit at work in my life. 
It does not insist on its own way, right? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we do not have love, John compares us to Cain. If you don't know who Cain in the Bible is, Cain is Cain and Abel is one of the earliest stories in Scripture. After Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden for disobeying God and eating of the fruit that they should not eat of, we get this story of Cain and Abel, who are two of their sons. And Cain and Abel go and they bring a sacrifice to God. And Scripture doesn't tell us why, but it does tell us one brought the sacrifice in faith and in righteousness, and the other didn't. And so when Cain brings his sacrifice and Abel brings his, God accepts Abel's and doesn't accept Cain's. And Cain gets angry. And the first human murder is committed. Cain hates Abel because he sees that God favored his sacrifice and then murders him. And so John compares us to Cain, who is full of hate, was a son of the evil one, he is called, and bore the fruit of murder in his life. John says, having, a love, having love is a sign that we have passed from death to life, that we are saved. Right? We have to think, last week we talked a lot about abiding, about remaining in God. And when we abide in God, when we remain in him, just like a branch that's part of the vine, when you are a part of something, you bear the fruit of that thing. And so if we are abiding in Christ, if we are abiding in God, what happens is the fruit of God will be in us. So love, loving people that are hard to love, aka church people, that's what John is talking about here. He's not talking about the world. John Rodriguez talked about this a, a month and a half back, right? John is, is, the Apostle John is speaking to the church about other churchgoers. He says, loving your brothers and sisters, loving church folk is a sign that you have eternal life. Can you believe that? That this fruit of the Spirit is a sign that you have eternal life. You know why church people are so hard to love? There's a lot of reasons, actually. I don't know why I thought that was just going to be one, but like 20 <laughs> things just entered into my head. <laughs> one is proximity. When you are around people long enough, you get irritated by them. And a church that prides itself in having a lot of proximity with each other, we get irritated with each other a lot. But love is not irritable, right? Love bears all things. I don't stop being with you because it's annoying to be around you. That means that love is not abiding in me, right? The, the, John says that this is so important that if you have this one fruit, if you love your brothers and sisters in the church, that this is a sign that eternal life has been sparked inside of you. This is a sign that the miracle has happened in your heart, that you have gone from death to life, that eternal life abides or remains on the inside of you. 
this fruit of love. The absence of love for the Christian family is a sign that we will abide in death or remain in death. We have not enjoyed the fruit of the resurrection power of Christ. This is how deep and important this is. That the absence of it, John says, that you abide in death, that you literally have remained in death. You have not passed over through resurrection power into eternal life. John echoes the words of Jesus. He says that even hating another Christian, another brother or sister, is the same as murdering them in the eyes of God. It is the same sin as Cain. That is powerful because if I'm honest, I have hated other Christians. I've strongly disliked other brothers and sisters in the faith. And, and John says that that is the same as murder. This is a sure sign, he says, that Christ or eternal life or God's seed does not remain in us when we remain in hate or we remain in murder or we remain in darkness or we remain in the evil one. John uses these words interchangeably, darkness, hate, evil, sin, on one side and then light, life, eternity on the other. Love. See, the thing about this, though, is I bet if we took a poll in the room, I bet we would find ourselves very loving. You know, I think in America in 2021, we have a very generous, if I'm being kind, understanding of love. Right? We end emails with love you. I'm, I'm the biggest uh, proponent of that. Uh, we, we tell everybody we love them. Uh, you know, we got teenagers telling each other that they love each other when they're dating. They have no clue what love means. We got love being thrown around all the time. And then in the church, it's like next level love. I met you one time and it's like, love you, brother. Thank you. We use this word, we are very generous with love. Love as part of our society We like this word. And as a society, with our definitions of love, I would say that we would all be generous and say that many of us would say that we are loving people. And it, but I, I think the, the, the funny thing is if I asked 30 different Christians, maybe 30 of you in this room, what love is, I wonder if we would define it the same way that John defines it in the scripture. See, society has a lot of definitions for words. And many times they will not like our definitions for words, but that's fine. John says the world is gonna hate you if you have eternal life enduring in you. That is part of the package of following Jesus, that one of the things is that culture will not like you. Right? Uh, many of us may have been invited into a life of blessing and happiness when we accepted Christ, but that is not the life that Christ invites us into in Scripture. In fact, 
Paul, when Jesus invites Paul to follow him, he says, I will show you how much you will suffer on my behalf. And so society has a lot of definitions. And so there's these definitions of love that we have out here, but how many of us would define love how scripture, how John here defines it? For seeing this and even responding to this church community, John takes this love thing a bit further and he defines what it means in verse 16. He says this, by this we know love, that he or Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So here, John uses Jesus as an example to define what love is. John says the ultimate example of love is goosebumps when someone walks in the room. No, he doesn't say that. That's not love. John says the ultimate example of love is how affectionate you are with me. No, that's not what John said. John says, the ultimate example of love is Christ dying on the cross for us, unrepentant, undeserved sinners, ungrateful people. Why do I say it like that? Because it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we did not ask for it, but he knew that we needed it. He died for us in a world that rejected him, that put him on the cross. And even when they were spitting at him and mocking him, he said to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is love defined in a person and in an action. Love is sacrifice. Sacrifice so deep that it is actually laying one's life down for another person. This is love. Imagine the most annoying person in the church. Imagine them. We got one laughing right here in the front. <laughs> Too many people are laughing at that. You're going to hurt his feelings, guys. No, I'm just like... <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine the person that has annoyed you more than anybody else. And then imagine giving your life for that person. Right? We can think of one person annoying, but think of Jesus. He could think of uh, across all the ages, the most annoying people in every generation. And yet, what did he do? Willingly laid down his life. He said, nobody can take my life from me. I lay it down. He gave it up. He died on the cross willingly. And this, John says, is love. Now, most of us will never have the opportunity to die for another Christian. So John then, again, makes it even more practical. In verse 17 and 18, he says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We may have a lot of love in theory. Yeah, I died for someone in my church. Yeah, I died for this person. Yeah, I love these people. 
but John makes it very personal and very real. He says, love is seeing a need in your church family and meeting it financially or materially. I think a great example of this is on our app, we constantly see people giving things away, right? That is meeting a need within our family. And then I, I think another great example is when people need the money and they sell it, other people are willing to buy it. That is meeting a need financially. But John, even James says this, that how, how could you say that you are a friend of God? This is how James puts it. And, and you can see your brother or sister come to church and your reaction to them is say, I'm going to pray for you. Right? You see someone, let's say it's the middle of winter, someone comes without a jacket. You say, well, be warm and be blessed in Jesus' name. See you next week. That's how James puts it. John says, you have the, and I love this, I love this word, he says, the world's goods. Right? He puts everything into perspective. All the things that I love, that I've accumulated, that I come to, to appreciate and love in my life, he, he says the world's goods, the thing that's going to hate us, the things that we are not part of, the thing that is passing away. That's what we should read whenever we see the world before something. So the, the things of the world that are passing away, that are meaningless, that are nothing, that are perishable, that moth and rust will destroy, that we will not take into eternity with us when we have the world's goods and we see a brother or sister that does not have it and they are in need of it and we look at them and we do not give to them, we do not have love. And even that word need, because we may think, I need this. Right? I have five jackets, and this person is none, but I, I need that red jacket because then my red kicks aren't going to have a red jacket to go with my red kicks. And so I can't give away my red jacket because I need that jacket. Now you don't need it. If we have the world's goods and we see another person that doesn't, a brother or sister that are struggling and we don't give it to them, we do not have love. See, a lot of the times opposite happens in church and we see our brothers and sisters as people we can exploit for gain. So we can take the world's goods from them. You know, I, I, I think what's been very sad is the church has been like the stomping ground for every MLM scheme to ever come up in the world. Uh, and growing up in church, I saw, you know, for those of you that don't know, multi-level marketing. That's your friend that invites you over, and then all of a sudden, there's 5,000 candles, and you're buying one before you leave the night. Or, you know, the, the finance person uh, that, that comes, and it's just like, oh, you know, I want to help you with uh, your life insurance. Then you can sell life insurance, too, and then you can get all your friends and families to do it, too. You just have to pay lots of fees and make no money, and it all goes to my commission, right? That, that is an MLM scheme. And a lot of times, we see our brother or sister as a way to move forward. And maybe we're not doing it like that, but another example is serving in a ministry to get close to someone cute rather than to love the people that we are serving, right? This is a way that we exploit each other instead of loving each other. Another example is thinking primarily about how others can serve, encourage, and help me rather than 
how I can encourage, serve, and help others. Or expecting all of those things from the church, but when it comes time to give, saying, I don't have time or I'm unavailable. John makes this very real and very practical. And he says this in the very beginning, he said, this is not something new because this is something, a part of God's character that his people should always be marked by. Marked by. And it is from the very beginning. If we read in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse seven or nine, you can just listen. It says this, this is part of the law that God gives us. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near. This is basically looking for a way out. Because the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, people's deaths were canceled. So he's saying, if you know the seventh year is coming, you think, ah, they'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't look for a way out. And your eye look begrudgingly on the poor brother. And you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you. And you be guilty of sin. Remember, be careful, he says, of that. See, a community marked by love in the kingdom is not known for their loving words and niceties and Southern hospitality. They are marked by what? Their action towards one another. John's example here is providing materially and financially for someone in need. It could also be patience towards another person, another church member that bothers us. It could be helping someone move, watching someone's kids, calling them when you know that they're struggling with loneliness, allowing someone to crash at your place. It is an action towards another person that is sacrificial in nature. That is love. Loving someone is not putting a smile on your face and telling them you love them. Never in Scripture is it defined this way. Always in Scripture is it defined by loving action, sacrificial action from one person to another. Wrapped up in the example of Jesus on the cross, who lovingly, sacrificially gave willingly of his life so that what? We can have life abundantly. Who emptied himself so that we can be filled this is love. Now, if we struggle to sacrifice our time, our treasure, and our talent for other members of the community of Christians, what can we do? Well, the beautiful thing is that we can turn to Christ today. See, Christ is not, what, what Christ is not saying and what John is not saying here is be more loving or you're not a Christian. See, this is what's the beauty of reading this entire book in context is. If we are not loving, if we have failed the test, if we cannot sacrifice our time, our treasure, and our talent for others, the answer is not try harder. 
It is look to Jesus and abide in him because when we do that, his resurrection power will come and we will pass from death into life. And when we remain in him, when we remain in his life, when eternal life then abides and remains in us, what happens? Love will come forth. And so the answer today is if you struggle with sacrificial love towards others, if you struggle to give financially to others, if you struggle to purchase things for other people, if you struggle to give of your time because you're too busy playing video games and watching Netflix, if you struggle because you love what you love more than you want to give, the answer is Christ can do that. Turn your eyes to him today. Turn your heart towards him today and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your resurrection power to transform my heart because if left on our own, it doesn't matter how hard we will try, death will remain in us. What we need is the miraculous power of salvation to come in to transform our heart and to renew our minds and to give life to the dead thing that is caused and allowed this death to remain in our heart, this hate to remain in our life. The only one that can transfer us from the child of the evil one to the child of God is Christ. And the open invitation that he leaves today is anyone who comes, anyone who enters shall have eternal life. And when that happens, you experience true love that is so meaningful, that is so powerful, that is so undeserving that really we have no choice but to share and spread that love with others. Can you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you that when we remain in you, that your life comes and dwells in us, changes us, transforms us, renews us. Lord, there are many of us here that struggle to give of ourselves, to give of our money, to give of our time, to give of our talent to others, not expecting anything back. But yet your power can change that. And so, Lord, we come to you right now and we ask that we would look to the example of you on the cross. And as we put our faith in it, as we put our belief in it, we ask that your generous that your lavish love and power would come and dwell in us, that it would transform us, that it would change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.